Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. Today, on today's show, I am interviewing Emma Gannon, who is an author and writer and uh, has a, a very popular substack where she, I mean, that's writing, isn't it? I mean, that's not a third thing. That's that's under the aegis of writing, but I, it just seems worth saying. I, I, I suppose we have lots of wonderful media for sharing things uh, these days and uh, it's pertinent because I'm going to include a link to that in uh, in the description of today's episode but um, her latest book is called The Success Myth and I don't really need to go into too much detail about what it is because we talk about it in some detail in our interview and I don't want to just rehash that as I sometimes do in these intros give you a pricey in a way that makes listening to some of the interview redundant but we have a chat about this book that's about something that you know she went through and had to deal with about seeming to do well and not really feeling like you're a success underneath and then our reassessing what it means to be successful and uh, how we maybe get sucked into chasing things that we don't actually deep down want and uh, performing success and projecting the image of success over actually feeling good. And I think that is super pertinent to us as writers because that's quite a lot of the game, like especially on social media. I don't think anyone does it out of a sense of egotism or preening. Well, I'm sure one or two people do. But most of the time, if you're a writer, you, you want to try and make people excited about your writing. You want to make it seem like things are going quite well for you because you don't want to go, oh, I don't like what I'm writing. Uh, m- my editor doesn't really like it. I, I've just lost my agent. Uh, my sales have been really bad because you're worried that that's going to make people not want to buy your work and, 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 and it's going to make people think, well, you you're st- you want to project an image of success, so people want to you, you imagine that people see that as social proof, and then come to your work and go, "Wow!" And you know, you can't sell books. You can't sell, you can't if you're, for example, you want to do paid uh, creative writing lessons. You can't do that if you're projecting an image of being bad and unsuccessful, right? So there's this constant, I'd say, selection pressure in the messages we send towards talking about doing well you don't want to seem bitter and of course when it is going well then it's very easy to do that and actually actually outsource that work to other people in the end and talk in interviews and I've been you know I'm guilty of this when I do interviews where I'm the interviewee on other people's podcasts uh, when I've done book events and stuff it's very easy to kind of just sort of like lean back in in one's chair with an affected ease and then talk in this convivial 
dinner party way you know chuck some jokes in be a bit self-deprecating in a way that make people laugh but at the same time be cultivating this honestly like slightly slick image of success and authoriness the the time i felt most authory is when i'm being interviewed at a book event or when i'm signing books it's like super easy to feel like oh this is what being an author is <laughs> yeah i mean i you know i have my ups and downs <laughs> that kind of thing and it's least easy to feel like an author when you're sitting at a page and you, you're not sure what to write and you don't feel very confident and you feel a bit scared and there's things that you want to say but you, they might be boring or they might come out scrambled um, and you're not sure that anyone cares and then maybe you release something and nobody picks it up and it turns out it wasn't that interesting to people and you start second guessing yourself and how in touch you are with an audience and whether there is any point in what you're doing or whether you're kind of just you know, whether you're just kind of peeing into the wind. And, I mean, sorry, it sounds like I'm going on a a, a monologue of self-loathing, uh, which, you know, wouldn't be the first time in this podcast. But I don't, I don't mean that. I, I, and I don't actually think it's a problem to feel vulnerable. I think it's a sign of being healthy. If an author's like, I'm not sure what's going on and I don't really understand it, I'm much more confident for their well-being. And they're going through life being a happy and nice person than if they're like oh yeah I'm doing super great I, d I just don't think that that I think that's a performance and I think it it it, it, it breaks rather than bends when someone hits adversity if you if you have a sense of being sort of super successful then it's and you buy into that and you've climbed fully inside the author clown suit and you don't just see it as you're not able to which is very difficult you know there's a there's it can be it, it can be sort of almost traumatic to have huge success i've talked to authors on the show who've had huge success and it um depending on how it happens and how it's followed up and how people around you treat you and your own sort of ability to manage it i certainly think it's a it's a challenge I certainly think it's an emotional upheaval in the same way that like getting a big new job with lots of responsibilities or, or moving house to another part of the country and you, it's really lo lovely or, you know, becoming a parent. None of these things are, are negatives. You know, many of them are, you go, well, God, you don't know you're born if you don't appreciate that. Well, sure, but they change I mean, sometimes they, it feels like they sort of reach in and change parts of your sense of identity. And as Emma talks about in the show, you know, when it feels like there's a, a dissonance between how people perceive you and how you feel inside, that's tricky. And that's what her book's about. And that's what we talk about. Uh, and I just, I really enjoyed it. I mean, like... Oh, Obviously, I'm not going to prep. Obviously, I'm not going to, as I've said before, I'm not going to lead into one of these interviews. I don't know why I say those bits, because, like, obviously, I'm not going to lead into an interview going, ah, it was a little bit like pulling teeth. <laughs> so I didn't have a great time, but I've edited it heavily. And hopefully there's some, uh, I'm not going to, I, you know, I promised them 
that I was going to include. I've, they gave up their time, so I have to put it out, you know, morally. But as you'll hear, not the best chat. I'm, no, I'm never going to. I'm never going to say that. Um, but I did really enjoy speaking uh, to Emma, and um, I put a link to the success myth in the show notes of today's episode. So if you're interested in it, you can go and I, you know, I would suggest, you know, even if you're like half thinking about it, of course, nowadays you can just go straight onto various sites like even like, yes, Amazon, although, you know, if you can buy it from a books and mortar, uh, bricks and mortar store, so much the better. But if you go on, you know, Amazon, you can click on the look inside and you can just read the beginning or you can download an ebook extract. And I, I would always say when you hear someone on here, if you're even halfway interested, go and just uh, read. We live in an age now where you can read the first, you know, the introduction and a bit of the first chapter always and just see whether it's for you. And then if it is, dig in. But I'll put a bookshop UK link. So if you live in the UK, um, you should be able to go and check it out and do so in a way that supports independent bookstores. That's uh, all of it from me, except if you enjoy the show. Um, by the way, when I do this sort of like voice where I go, some people have occasionally commented, like, I'm Tim, you sound like you're slurring your words. Are you okay? Are you drunk? I haven't drunk alcohol for over 10 years. Um, it's just a, I don't know where the joke voice it's sort of a bit but i don't know what the joke is <laughs> but i'm fine <laughs> well I, I don't know what it is it's supposed to i don't know why i do that voice i suppose it's supposed to convey sort of uh a bemusement and uh, uh a, a sort of lack of competence but it's uh it's it's just a joke um but yeah if you like the show and you want to support it we don't have sponsors or anything like that we don't have i don't have a patreon sign up uh maybe i should accept that i just as i said before i don't want to promise i'd rather under promise and over deliver and so basically if you like the show um and it gives you some value then you can chuck me a few beans via my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire uh there's a link to that as well and um i am going to do some episodes where i look at people's first pages it's not that i've um forgotten about that it's just that i recorded a bunch of interviews and i want to get them out in a timely manner around the release of people's books so the first page critiques are on their way and if you want to send me a message oh final thing oh 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 i've got we've got a discord server and there's a link to that in the show notes the description of today's episode but you can just search death of a thousand cuts discord um it's nice i really like the people on there so far we haven't had our sort of first wild disruptor which i suppose is a, a, a you know period that every community goes through but um until now just i really enjoy uh hearing what people are chatting about and people share bits of their work and talk about books and it's a nice community and you're very welcome to join us that's it right i'm gonna shush now um i hope you enjoy today's episode and uh here is me talking to emma gannon I'm slightly joking and I'm also completely sincere. Uh, the thing I wanted to ask you first is, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? I love that question because it's so weird to me how young 
we are when we're asked that. It's like, I don't know. Um, But actually, weirdly, I think we do know sometimes deep down. And for me, it was it was being a therapist, which is kind of quite similar, I think, to people saying like, I wanted to be a vet. I feel like it comes up a lot wanting to be a therapist. And actually, it's not too far off, really, from some of the work that I do with my coaching. So yeah, little little baby therapist. <laughs> How old were you when... Because that seems like an incredibly... I, 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 it seems quite a sophisticated <laughs> thing to, to, to want to be. I mean, it's lovely and it's really, really nice. But um, what, what, uh, what, and can you remember what made you want because that seems like a it's like a specific choice um yeah if a kid told me that I would be delighted but I'd also find it quite amusing and I'd be really interested to know why or a bit worried maybe um but I know Uh, I know maybe but that'd be my own prejudice right like I think it's a lovely thing to want to be I know exactly where it came from and it's really funny I me and my little sister used to watch so much American TV like obviously Nickelodeon but weird kind of American high school dramas that were quite niche and everyone in America has a therapist or there's always a scene in every TV sitcom basically I think where there's like a lovely woman wearing a scarf being a therapist so I just thought that looks really fun you get to chat to people all day. Wow and and like did you have a what and did that <laughs> like because sometimes we have like ideas that we want to do as we're growing up and and they're gonna get parked and it's only like for when I was very very little I listened to the Beatles track uh she's leaving home and I got it into my mind that at some point when you grow up you have to run away like you have to sort of formally run away you don't leave your house you have to actually (laughs) like escape and it was only when I was like a teenager that I realized that I hadn't actually examined that belief and I I knew now that it wasn't a thing but because I'd never had to go back and revisit it, I was like, oh, wait, hang on, that can't be true. <laughs> and I wondered, like, did was there a point where, was it? did it always stay that way? Or did it become something that you thought of as very gauche and then and now look back on? Or what? how did that develop as you, as you got older? Well, I think I was always really, really nosy, and I still am. And I think when people ask me, like, the one defining characteristic of why I'm a writer or why I'm the way I am... I just feel so curious about absolutely everything. And actually, you know, having, I know this is meant to be about me, but having read your brilliant book about anxiety, Coward, I realised that even when I was going through the worst of my own mental health stuff, there was a part of me that was like, this is weird. This is, this is (laughs) strange. Like, quite curious about this. Like, how's this going to end up? Am I going to get through this? Who knows? Like, it was sort of, that sort of curiosity has always been a strength, I think. And I was always interested in other people. So I think the therapy, the, the therapist dream wasn't actually, I don't think, about becoming one. I think obviously that's a really in-depth skill set that you need. It's not just chatting to someone by a fire. But I love the idea of just talking and having deep conversations because something that I struggle with even now is small talk. Like I can, I, it could like bring on panic attacks, like low level terrible small talk in a room where I feel like I can't get out is like my worst nightmare so I think that's where it came from really do you think do you think anyone enjoys small talk or are we all like keeping up appearances and secretly like do you think there are are there people who because you've spoken to lots of people do you think anyone 
Do you think there are people who are sincerely really into small talk? Like, I think that, or I are think we there all is. like that going, ah? Uh. I think there is. And I th- I think it depends on who you are. Like you, you can be the one that ruins the vibe. So like for me, <laughs> small talk people ruin my vibe, but I actually ruin theirs because I, I'm at a cocktail party and everyone, to be honest, just wants to talk about the weather and how much they hate their kids and their job or whatever it is. And I'm like, so how, you know, how are you... Like, uh, what? how do you feel about... And then I'll insert a really existential question. And they're just like, oh, <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> you're, you're, so you're like bringing sort of 4am in the kitchen at the party vibes to yes. like 11pm 11, 11 at the party vibes. Everyone's yeah. trying to have a disco and you're going like, so do you think like Yoda was like really lonely? <laughs> like, uh, because I sometimes look at him and he, I, I can't imagine he was happy. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I'll, oh, I'll do that yet. like not four, yet. 4 p.m. picnic. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you talk about how um, you started to turn this into, you know, writing? And because it's quite an intimidating thing, I guess, to, or on the face of it, to be able to start sort of like turning around and saying things about quote unquote the human condition how or so how did you sort of start transferring this into your own writing and making something that you hoped would be sort of kind of valuable for other people Mm. so it's been a long and winding road as it usually is for writers but for me I I think it was one of the only things I was good at at school so I was like the typical kid that was good at English and but I feel like most most kids are good at English so I don't think that's even that helpful sometimes but I knew I could do that and I was terrible at maths terrible at sciences I was obviously creative and then when I went to university my confidence was really knocked because I found out I was dyslexic so I always felt on the back foot I always felt like my essays weren't very good like they were covered with red marks my tutors would get annoyed with me because I would repeat myself a lot and I just felt like, oh, I've got so much I want to say, but clearly I'm struggling to say it. And then when I left university, I went and got a a job um, in PR and I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I just, I started a blog on the side. And honestly, the rest is history. I think the internet, for all its faults, can be this magical land of just expression. And I had that blog from, I think, 2010, maybe 2009. And people just liked my stuff and and you know not everyone but I found my people and people don't mind about typos on blogs and people don't mind about you know you getting things a little bit the format being a bit everywhere I just found like people liked it actually they liked the authenticity and I think that's something that I really care about I, I, I find literary snobs really annoying I find people who are obsessed with like grammar and obviously I have an amazing editor now for my books but I just, I like the mess of writing as much as I like a polished book. Can you talk a little bit about, I wonder if you could just, for people who haven't experienced dyslexia, can you talk about, this might be a really obvious question, but I'm I'm not sure that it is for me. What are the, some of the challenges that dyslexia presents to you? Because it, it, it's a little bit more than, as I understand it, but I could be wrong from just sometimes finding spelling a bit difficult right yeah yeah and it it shows up differently for everyone and I you know I've got to say like I'm on the mild end but it it's mixing up spelling yeah definitely like getting things kind of in reverse like my sentences um can be really jumbled and I do it a lot on email I'll you know that classic thing where 
if I'm saying like, how are you? I'll be like, how you are today? You know, just everything can be a bit mm. back to front. Um, and I, but, but, and the thing is, I, it's like a blind spot. Like I don't notice it. I can proofread it like five times and I don't see it. So it's that, but it's also, um, I can't actually read my own work out loud. So, um, and this is, that's not like a massive deal, but when I'm asked at book readings, for example, and sometimes they really force you to do that, I can get, end up in situations where I just like can't, it's like a complete jumble of words. And it just, I think it just knocks my confidence that there's certain things I just struggle to do in that department. Um, but it doesn't hold me back in the slightest and um, I don't see it as a bad thing. You know, there's there's studies that say if you're slightly dyslexic or very dyslexic, you think about things in different ways. It's, you can, you know, you can be cleverer in other departments. Like there's all sorts of superpowers to any sort of quote unquote disability in any, in any realm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, from my experience, knowing lots of writers and poets, some of the best examples uh, that I people I know are also dyslexic, and I don't want to dis- I don't want to underplay the challenges and extra things it puts in their way because those are those are real, um, but they're definitely you know they're definitely like hugely creative, hugely articulate, and 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 maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe aspects of it have made them see things in a different way or made them have to really think about how they put a sentence together. So when they come out with things, there are phrases that I've never heard before. And yeah, I can imagine how, you know, despite all the the difficulties, it can um, just kind of bring bring your attention to language in a way that can uh, produce really great things. Totally. And I think actually also it's given me this like rebellious edge where I a lot of my career and even a lot of like the the money that I've made for example like the business side of writing has come from being entrepreneurial because I felt sort of outcast from some of the traditional media I just wanted to do it in my own way and I think it's because I've had to do it in my own way on the blog and everything for so long so I quite like that you can make up your own career as you go along a bit as well. Can you before um we get to talking about your book I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um the kind of things you were filling your blog with because it seems like a format that has been I imagine I don't want I want to say I do actually this is why I, I want to say that it it I feel like it must be a bit like stand-up and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this <laughs> in that um the feedback loop is quite quick you know when I speak to stand-up comedians who write uh, go into like writing a novel the thing that they talk about is how it's a bit like doing a set blindfolded because you don't get audience feedback until you finish the whole thing. And with a blog, I guess you were seeing every time you did a post what went down well with people. And so it must have been quite a good way of getting a sense of your audience. Um, I, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you, you know, what you found yourself wrote, writing about and how that process of being sort of, I guess, in closer dialogue with an audience than you maybe would be with a book um, yeah. has help, helped you get a sense of what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, that's a really good question because that's also why I love books is that you can go away f- for ages and not get any feedback. because That's so important for creativity, <laughs> especially, you know, in the world of Twitter and everything. But actually with a blog, absolutely. It was like my sort of boot camp and my training ground of realising what people liked, you know, how to put on a good headline, how to keep people reading till the end, all of that stuff that actually is important. Um, But it was, 2010 was a weird one. It was like a really good time for the internet. It was um, around the time where 
people were kind of loving Facebook still and reconnecting with people. I think Twitter was quite good back then. Um, kids were doing better at school because of the internet. It was like, I, I just remember in some of my research, 2010 was a good year for the internet. Um, so there was a blogging boom and everything. And it was also quite a big year for feminist writers like Catelyn Moran's How to Be a Woman came out. And there was like a lot of conversations around feminism and, but in a kind of lighthearted way, I don't know. It was kind of a fun time to be writing. So that was really good. And I think for me, I would pitch to magazines all the time and I would always get rejections. And so I just had this wealth of writing just saved on my laptop. And I just thought this would be so silly to keep in a drawer. So really it was just all the rejected material that actually ended up making my career. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I, 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 <laughs> that's so exciting. That makes me feel really, that makes me feel really happy because I mean, we're all, yeah, perhaps it's just because, like, as a writer, you know, I have all this unchecked, seething resentment uh, against anyone who would dare sort of not think everything I do is brilliant. But it's lo- but it's lovely to think that you're kind of allowed. You can give yourself permission to go. Well, this matters to me. Yeah, and so I'm. I can put it out there and see if it can find an audience. And it, it sounds like with you, you, you ended up having like some pretty positive experiences and that must have started a bit of a feedback loop when you were I'm imagining let me know if I'm wrong but like that you were able to put stuff out and then people responded positively to it and you felt like oh there isn't a need for this there's an audience for it Um, I'm allowed to write about this you know a lot of writers I talk about talk about sort of like permission moments or permission figures in their life you say actually you're allowed this thing that matters to you you are allowed to write about it Um, was that part of it as well? Yeah, that was definitely part of it. And 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 actually, this is something I think about a lot is there's wanting to be a writer and writing, but there's also this thing that we don't talk about, which is the confidence bit. Because we most of us have a laptop, if we're lucky enough. Most of us have a pen and a piece of paper. Like We actually all can write physically, but there's like a difference between people who are practicing it and people who are scared of it. And people that will never show anyone their work. Like there's this layer of, you know, mental well-being actually that comes around with with writing. And I think for me, I, I was always really lucky that I had an inner confidence and I don't know where it came from because I must have had a confidence. If I was being rejected every single day and I still Ooh. and I still thought, I'm going to publish these, I don't I don't really know where that came from, but I just it make I don't know. I just felt like the generation I wanted to speak to, which was millennials on the internet, they weren't really we- they weren't really reading those magazines anyway. I think that's what it came down to. It was like, I don't trust those editors to to really get to the niche articles anyway. Like they're publishing all sorts of other things. There's space for all of us. I think that's how I felt. Can you talk a little bit about um, you, you know moving into the book format because I guess. You said that it's nice to be able to go away and sort of write in privacy. And I guess you're speaking partly to the flip side of having an audience, which is having audience expectation. And in its worst form that you get a sort of sense of audience capture where you're kind of beholden often to a completely imaginary audience that you've, <laughs> yeah. put, you've invented in your head and them and disappointing them. Can you talk a little bit about um, moving into your first book? Yes. I mean, my first book is an interesting one because 
I'm really proud of that book, but it's also a strange kind of hybrid, I would say, of kind of that book was very much commissioned, well, not commissioned, um, sold to Penguin with the idea of kind of internet woman publishes a book. Like it was sort of a book about growing up on the internet. It was a nostalgic look at kind of the MSN era of being a teenager in the infancy of the internet and dial up and boys and body image. And like it was, it's a fun book, but it's, it, it was sort of, I don't know. I felt like it was tapping into a trend where people in publishing were like, oh, we should publish some bloggers now. So I didn't, I, I don't feel like I really had any say on how that book really was going to come across or be marketed. I just felt like I was 25. So I, I didn't have a clue. I was just like, yay, I'm being published. I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, <laughs> that big laugh after that. Um, so yeah, I, I felt like I was kind of swept up in a bit of a sort of marketing trend, but it, it was my first book and it led to my other books. So it was all good. Um, I, I wonder if, we might as well it could be useful just to move on to talking about the success myth since I guess I don't know it it feels like you're maybe this is all your craft and uh but it feels like you're being sort of like very authentic and kind of like open and very kind of cards on the table in it so I wonder if you could talk a bit about what led you to write the book Yes. Well, thank you, because that's really what I wanted from this book, because I think I was always really intrigued about what life looked like on the other side of achieving your dreams. And I felt like I had really got to that point of like, wow, I've really I've published all these books. I've been on the list of validations of, you know, whatever, like the Forbes list, for example, in 2018, that was quite a big year for me because I had got all of those tick boxes and I sort of sat there expecting my life to change or for something to happen for me to have ascended into like 2.0 me, like the Pokemon moment of like, I'm now my best self. And I actually felt the worst I've ever felt, the most disconnected from my friends, the most disconnected from myself. Um, I just felt like I'd won at like the capitalism, (laughs) but I didn't feel good in myself at all. And I felt like I'd really abandoned my writer self actually. Um, And I was completely lost and my Instagram was looking amazing and everyone thought I was so happy. And I, (laughs) I think I just wanted to write about that from a personal perspective, but also that I've interviewed like gold medalist winners. I've interviewed award winning, you know, actors and all the celebrities like I did all of that um when I first did my podcast and I it was just left a bit of a bad taste because I realized that we none of us have the answer and I just felt like there's something very lonely about pretending to be successful when you don't feel it and yeah I just to be honest I just wanted to open that up to a bigger conversation because I think we all kind of understand that but there's still there's still the myth and people still like to kind of roll their eyes at it as well because they're like no if I had all that stuff I'd be happy and it's like okay or we kind of go honestly my thing was always well can I I'm happy to to have that moral lesson um in the midst of 
ridiculous success. Like I'm, I'm like, like, do you know what I mean? I, I had this idea that I was like, oh yeah, no, I'll probably get there and it'll, I'll look out over my swimming pool and it'll feel a bit empty. But can I do it from there? <laughs> like you kind of, I kind of didn't, I kind of didn't believe it. And also really I was like pretending that the success I was chasing was maybe the Hollywood success when actually it, I wasn't really engaging with what I saw as success, which was like slightly more sophisticated kind of like literary success. And yeah, it's it, mm-hmm. it, 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 this idea that you're going to get there and you, can you, I wanted to just pick you up on something and get you to elaborate if you could. You said you felt like um, you'd sort of abandoned your writer self a little bit. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, it was interesting because... I felt like I was being very successful at like monetizing the brand of the writer at the center and then all the things around it. So like, I felt like I was just like a walking product, basically. And I and I think and this is, you know, this is like the age old discussion of like, how can we mix art and commercial success? And like, can we like, even Sally Rooney is kind of like oh for fuck's sake (laughs) like you've kind of you've all ruined my books because you know there's a tote bag and a bucket hat and badges and a fan club and 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 that's fine that's you know that is great her books are incredible and they've reached millions but I and mine (laughs) certainly haven't but I think it's just funny that what we think we want actually can take us further away from the actual thing which is essentially writing something that you really really value and it reaching not even that many people just people who really love it and for me success as a writer now is because I've taken so many I've taken off so many hats and I've changed up what I'm doing so like financially it I've sort of had to make sacrifices or whatever I'm absolutely fine still obviously but I've had to make my life smaller and my output smaller and I'm much happier because now I haven't abandoned that writer self that wants to take herself, take myself to a cafe and and just write for the day, rather than trying to impress everyone and make everyone else happy. You talk about in the book, you you come up with some, uh, you mention some ideas of where you think this success myth comes from and how it's instilled into us. I wonder if you could touch on some of of, of those things because I know for people listening. There's not. What strikes me is that there's absolutely no one for whom this subject is irrelevant, right? Like there's no, there's none of us are untouched by this. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, where you think some of these ideas start and where they come from. Yes, and I definitely want to make that point that this is not about you know poor celebrities or anything like that even though there is a chapter on celebrity because I find it fascinating that we all think they're really happy and they're really not and it's it is a bit of a kind of jail sentence sometimes having that amount of eyes on you um but yeah I wanted it to be very relatable there is there was an article actually in the times recently about how the amount of money we now need to live like a very kind of quote-unquote normal middle-class life is is kind of outrageous because what we need to earn and and how many hours we need to work and all the rest of it to, to literally just like get by because of the trappings because of the car and the garden and the kids and the dog and the it's like we we it, society makes us pile everything on and then it makes us try and hold on to all of that stuff whereas actually in the book I'm realizing a lot of people are just like do you know what I can cope with having less if I don't have to kill myself at work to try and keep everything 
going. So I think there's, you know, there's loads of examples in the book of people who have turned down promotions because they realised that the promotion, even though it would look really good on LinkedIn or impress their families, um, actually the lifestyle wasn't worth it. So I, I just think we're kind of reckoning now with with different um, different levels of currency. Like money is a currency. We need money, of course we do, to survive and everything. And money to a limit, of course, makes us happier. But I think we're realising there's other currencies like time is a currency, like love is a currency, you know, connection, like where are all these other things in a life where you can just feel a bit trapped by everything that you, that's that been sold to you? Do you think that the uh, that our experiences of like lockdown and the pandemic, which I, I know talking about it now, weirdly, is often sort of almost seen as like a little bit gauche and like I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's there's a thing where people don't want to talk about it or it's seen as a bit cringe or I suppose because we've all been through it it's hard to feel uh like there's anything original to say about it but do you that it feels to me like that it certainly put a lot of people in a situation where their lifestyle changed temporarily drastically um do you think that's sort of contributing to some people having an awakening if you will but you yeah. know about there being other ways of living yeah for sure I to be honest I don't think I would have released this book had it not been this time because the statistics are, are saying that we do want to talk about this like I think what mind had released some stats post pandemic and it was a third of people's mental health had been worse than ever or had increased and obviously millions of people were re-looking at their work situation. Millions of people were working from home. Millions of people were, no, not millions, but a lot of people were leaving cities. And so, I, you know, it's interesting because I've actually been writing about this stuff for, for years in terms of like how to live a life on your terms, how to design your own life, how to maybe work for yourself, um, although I try and broaden it. But people didn't really want to hear it um four or five years ago it was it was very much okay you go and do that over there but the majority of people were just like oh just stop talking about that <laughs> um they, they, they just weren't interested and that's absolutely fine um now I feel like it's more mainstream like this conversation of maybe changing things up a bit it, people are way more open to it now and what's interesting for this book is it's not just for people my age it's people in their 40s 50s 60s everyone's really looking at their life it really isn't an age group can you i suppose the thing that immediately starts and you you do touch on this in the book as well um the immediate fear like and i have as a as a writer right i go on social media and i have lot i follow lots of writers and with you know they love they're mostly lovely people um but they are the collective effect is that they're all sharing books they've got coming out books that they're working on their word count for the day um and so i'm hit with this kind of wave of people achieving achieving getting awards new stuff coming out doing events um and so my instinctive feeling and you talk about this in the book as well is when anyone sort of says maybe take a rest maybe take a step back I like close up like a clam I'm like no <laughs> what what are you doing how are you going to compensate me in five years time when I'm like this bitter regretful and everyone zoomed past me so how do you how did you and how do you suggest people start getting 
over that kind of um, in, almost instinctive, I want to say terror, though, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, this has taken me years to work out, but there is definitely an irony in pushing, 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 and then either burning out or becoming really jaded that you just don't want to write anything. Because I think without resting, we as creative people especially, where, you know, we need rest. It's almost like a spiritual thing because without rest, you're not letting your mind wander. You're not talking to your friends. You're not going for a walk. All of my ideas actually don't come from me staring at a Word document. They come from um, just having a moment, even in the shower, to just like daydream or think about something else. And so, yeah, I completely resonate with that. When people are sharing their like, I've written a thousand words today on Twitter. I mean, I, I sometimes I just have to take a step back and be like, why are they posting that? They must be in their own personal terror that they need to be like constantly like sharing what they're doing, which is fine. But I just try not to let that rub off on me. And I'm just like, okay, I'm, I know that behind the scenes, I'm, I'm working this out in my own way. But yeah, it's, it's easier said than done. And it feels counterintuitive. But for example, I have this Substack that at moments I feel like, oh God, I'm turning into like churning it out territory. And the minute I feel like I'm churning, I'm like, right, I'm going to have a week off because I need to relight the fire. I don't want to turn into a conveyor belt. So, yeah, that's really interesting that you're saying that it's like it. That's so because so much of that goes against what we're often told that you've got to that. Right. You know, writing is a job and often like it's not really examined what someone means when they say job they we're just we know it's a job and if you're a grown-up you're going to turn up and and you might be miserable but you have to do it if you want to be part of the club um and and, and you're sort of suggesting uh a sort of turning towards things that maybe aren't metrics that aren't as easily followed as your word count your you know how your paycheck at the end of the month um how uh how does can you talk about a little bit about how people because the the, that's initially going to be experienced as how do you deal with did you find people like around you can be judgmental you talk about sort of like changing the kind of people you end you found yourself hanging out maybe with slightly different people Mm. can you talk a bit about that because i imagine there's people around you who worry for you who you know go what are you doing <laughs> you know what, what what have you been up to you know and it's a common thing in conversation right we go what have you been doing how's work going yeah yeah it's it's interesting I think our def our definition of success I believe is always changing so me in my 20s my my definition of success probably was hustling until I was collapsing it probably was very money orientated you know the nothing is wrong i'm not saying in the book like if you're obsessed with money that's bad that's great if that's what you want but what the trap is is if you actually are pretty happy with whatever your your level of enough is and you're quite happy actually working a four-day week or you know i don't know seeing your kids more often or whatever and then you're in a job that is obsessed with money it's like the problem is is when our values are not aligned with what we're doing Um, it's the same as someone actually hates writing and is like, oh, but I'm, you know, I want to be a successful writer. Well, okay, but could you be happier maybe doing 
a bit of writing and then also maybe going and having another job because you're obviously not enjoying I don't know it's it's really looking at what you want and working backwards but when it comes to people the people around me I think post burnout uh, which happened last year and was really, really bad. I, I feel feel like burnout is actually the wrong word. It was ma- basically like a mental breakdown. It was really, really terrifying. Um, I realised that post that, I just needed some better boundaries. And I, I, to be honest, I just felt like I wasn't as capable, even though it's how, that sounds negative. I think I just realised my true nature, which is I can't be going to every party under the sun. I can't be going for like coffees where people drain me and like drain me of information and then I go home. It's it's working out how to say no. It was really important. I had to say no to some people who were just not good for me. That, that must, it sounds like it's tricky because on one hand, you when you start the book by talking about a moment that sort of feels to you like the height of, success and on one level you know the things that you were valuing at the time and I'm sure you still do value to a certain extent were not superficial you know you finding an audience you know you are valued by people around you like think they want to listen to you they're like and then this is great like clearly people are resonating with what you you're doing you're writing and it's connecting with people and you know your work has found finding a receptive audience and you're getting to be a writer and speaker and you know help people and give them answers you know you, you, it is nothing there's nothing pretentious about what you're doing you're not like writing these sort of like obscure literary you know it, it's something that has a there's like a, a a need that you're meeting and yet even at that moment so can you I wonder if you can talk about um like resetting a a, a balance because it seems to me that even then um it, it you know in in many ways your life was in accordance with your values right like you were doing art and writing and communicating really well well it's interesting you say that because i think that's how it looked like on the outside which was kind of half the problem is people were like what you know what's the problem kind of thing but I think what had happened, and I guess this is what I want to write about, and it's quite nuanced because, you know, it is it is quite a bold, bold thing to say, which is like, I had all these things, my dreams came true, and I was not happy. I think what it was is I had met my goals because my goals were actually much more simple than what I ended up doing. So basically, things were going really well. I then had like, an you know, multiple agents around me people like a speaking agent, this agent, this book agent, a talent agency, everyone gets very overexcited because suddenly you're doing really well. They start putting you up for bigger and bigger and bigger things. Like in the book, I talk about doing a keynote speech to like 2000 people, went home back home to my hotel room and just started crying because I didn't want to do that. I didn't have it within me in my 20s to stand up for myself. I just went along with it because I thought that's what you should do. I talk about should in the book a lot. We should, should, should. (laughs) And all I wanted to do was write and get paid for it. And what's funny is I've gone back to that now. Um, And that's actually what led me to write my first novel. So I sacked everything off and I was like, I want to write a novel. And you don't get paid much to write a novel. (laughs) Um, so I was in a very privileged position that I could turn down things and go back to basics 
But I just think I just wanted to talk about that because I think people are like confused by it. But I actually think it makes so much sense in this modern society where we're told we should want everything on a stick. Sometimes what we really want is like a good sleep, hang out with your friends, do some writing, pay your bills. Um, but that's that. That's what we're sold as like not being enough. What? What? Why do? Why do you think? Where do you think that sort of pressure comes? From? Like, why is it so important to other people? And I, like, I'll be honest. Like, I, 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 I think I'm as guilty of exerting that pressure unintentionally on other people. You know, uh, and I, I, I definitely grew up feeling that people who weren't pushing themselves too hard really were sort of selling out a little bit or they were settling I think would be the most damning can you know they was they'd settled mm. they'd lost their drive um and and it feels to me like you're sort of asking us to re-examine the idea of settling as actually being extremely healthy and almost a bit rebellious um why do you think there are these you know what is it about society that wants us to do these things that can end up with us, you know, miserable or burning out or contributing to the huge burden of sort of mental illness and depression and anxiety that exists in the country today. Well, exactly, because I, you know, it's not a coincidence that the mental health statistics are on the rise, the more we're expected to do in our lifetimes. You know, you know, you write about this brilliantly, but really, I think you just said we're babies who survived. Is that what you wrote in your book? Yeah. But like the fact that we are essentially just like social mammals that aren't that different from other animals, like the the basics of what we need to be happy, like the reason the sun comes out and we all turn towards it and put our face in the sun. These are like very basic things that make us feel good about ourselves, not winning an award, for example. But um yeah, it's funny that you said that about settling, because I do think that's a negative word. And and even I'm like, oh, I don't want to like settle. But I think what I'm looking at is ambition, re-looking at what ambition means. And, you know, I've had a lot of really, I've had a lot of lovely messages about the book that I wasn't expecting from, from people like stay-at-home dads, stay-at-home mums who were like, thank you, because I actually feel really happy at the moment, but I always feel like I'm failing because I'm not, you know, I don't have an amazing career right now. And so I think it's just looking at what you want your life to look like. And I, I'm all for, I have really big dreams still, by the way. Like I have, I do have things I really want to go out there and do. But I think what I'm talking about in the book is we we don't have to do this at the expense of our well-being, or at least collectively, we should be really annoyed that we're being made to become unwell. It It, it seems to be in part to do with sort of a sense of, I, I suppose, self worth as well like I think I kind of I grew up thinking that in the back of my head that wanting to write was like a little bit indulgent and a little bit like something that not many people get to do and so if I was going to do it I had to do really well at it otherwise I'd just been the sort of errant son who'd (laughs) gone off and, and wasted his life on frivolity like I had to continually like show output and um i i I wonder like how how do you do you feel like (laughs) like how do you feel like you have to provide then evidence of 
you know, when you're kind of settling debt for, you know, things that maybe are serving you, um, how do you, how do you get, how do you navigate the pressures of maybe people wanting to see more, you know, baubles and conventional bits of success paraphernalia rather than you know how how are you I've had a really I had a lovely walk today sort of seems like less I don't know for some reason that seems like less okay to share with people than here's like my Instagram post of me going to this awards or whatever yeah I love how you described it as paraphernalia and baubles that's how it feels um it's funny I think as well I don't know if this is and I don't know if you'll resonate with this but because my my parents are baby boomers that's like the most sort of commercial commercially minded generation in in terms of they own the most amount of tech <laughs> they're upgrading their iphone every five minutes um and you know own a lot of property um that generation obviously like yeah the, we're in the boom like they 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 did quite well from that and without meaning to they value success they value they love celebrities um and I'm generalizing, but this is like from the data. So that generation of parents have imprinted onto their kids. If you don't have badges of honor, if you don't have the baubles, I'm worried about you. And I have found this so fascinating because now that I'm not like meeting the queen and getting all these awards, (laughs) I'll go home and be just like, I haven't really, you know, I've done stuff. I've earned money. I'm doing projects behind the scenes. It just doesn't look that exciting anymore, really. And um, they'll just be like, we're so worried about you. And it's like, I'm healthier, I'm happier. I genuinely have not been better recently. And it's just that they can't quite compute um, that that is, you know, a success. Like me burning out and changing up my life and being happier is a success. But because it's not sort of shiny, I don't think they quite understand it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And by the way, they're very supportive. I just mean they equate success with more of the outward facing stuff. So, for I suppose for people who are listening, who you know, a lot of people listening to the podcast want you know, are interested in writing, want to pursue some kind of creative career, and they may hear us talking about this and sort of be retorting <clears throat> with some justification. I should add, yeah, oh, but it's all right for you to because you've both had books published you kind of like that was a thing that you wanted to do for a while and you've done that and you've found an audience and now you can sort of go to cruise control because you've like you've crossed that barrier um and I wonder what would you say to someone who is sort of maybe feels to them they haven't hit those milestones that they've wanted to or they are still very early in their creative journey, um, who, who you know, what would you say to those people who are worried that you're trying to sort of tell them to put out their this sort of drive and this creative fire that forces them to keep going all night and pull all nighters? How can they manage that ambition while not making themselves really unhappy? How would mm. you sort of suggest yeah. to them that they balance that? That's that's an amazing mm. question and it's really important because 
this is definitely true in that, you know, there's there's data that says like when you're 33, that's when your ambition starts to wane. So obviously people listening to this might be a lot younger than that and be like, oh, I haven't, I'm not jaded yet. I'm ready to go. Um, and by the way, it's the best job ever, but it's just, I want to talk about the realities because I don't think we see the realities. Publishing a book is really amazing, but you should treat it as a business card because you're not going to make loads of money unless you're JK Rowling and no one is. You will be probably slightly disappointed when it comes out, to be honest, because it's not going to reach all the people you think it will probably, especially if you aren't someone who has social media. And I don't think all writers should. And it's such a pressure now to have that. And retailers have less space. You know, a lot of my friends who are amazing authors will not see their book in a bookshop. I'm not saying this to put anyone off. It really is incredible to reach people. But books aren't the only way. And there are so many other platforms for you to make money, reach people, um, live a great life of writing. But it doesn't have to be in the institutions and the in, in the industry and the corporations, quite frankly, that actually don't value writers very much. There's a huge protest going on in Hollywood at the moment, the Writers Guild, because they're not being paid enough. Being a writer is really, really hard to make a living. And I think we need to talk about how success as a writer isn't just earning money from it. It is, and we should be paid well for it. But I remember when I grew up, like in London, kind of in the early noughties, and I met a newspaper columnist who was like my hero. And I was like, oh my God, you know, your column, it's amazing. Later in the night, I worked out that she writes for a toothpaste brand. And that's how she pays her mortgage, not the column. And I always remember that because I thought... Yeah, that's, you know what, that hasn't shattered my dreams, realising that she has to make money in other ways. She still has an amazing column. But I was really pleased that I saw the truth, which is, it's not a Carrie Bradshaw moment anymore. I'm sorry, it's not. <laughs> Where you can write a single column and live in like a New York brownstone. And like, that just ruined it un- for all of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I just want to touch on that quickly because i think it's a it's a love there is a kind of shame about i I sometimes people will write stuff and maybe they write part-time maybe they wrote it and they self-published and there's often like a reflexive like almost like an apology like people will apologize for having a day a day job or like that their main career is you know working in something non-creative that they care about and then they wrote a book um why there there is still like quite a lot of shame about not living up to the writer i mean stereotype nonsense really right yeah i mean i write about this in the book i i write about how a lot of people that i coach this comes up a lot i interviewed an incredible author of an incredible cookbooks recently um and I write about this in the book and, and I won't mention her name but I did get permission to share it but she was just like I feel like a complete failure um I don't make money through food I don't make money from my cookbooks and I don't make money as a chef and she has a completely other uh, completely different other job and we worked out by the end of it that actually her life is so successful in that she her food is such a massive part of her job she earns money in other ways her cookbooks are loved by so many people and actually it was like realizing that who made that rule that you had to earn every single penny from the one creative thing that you enjoy it's 
it's I don't know where that came from, but it's a huge amount of pressure to put on yourself that you must literally hold up your entire family and yourself and everything based on your creativity. Elizabeth Gilbert talks amazingly about this. And she I know she's another person who people are like, oh, it's easy for you. You've sold a million copies. But she writes a lot about how if she hadn't sold a million copies, she was like, honestly, I would still be working in cafes and I still be would be working in other in other jobs and I would still be writing. And yeah, she wouldn't have been seen as being as successful, but would her life have looked, would her day-to-day life look that different? Probably not, because she still writes every day. It would just be like, it's still your life. So you've you've been really, you know, as you say, over the past sort of two years, you've really been down in the in the mental health mines, uh, <laughs> mining that seam of like wisdom that you can bring back up to the surface uh, in recovery. I know I'm I'm forcing an arc on it that I know isn't true, and life's much more complex than that. Um, but I wonder if sort of to round things off, um, to people listening, you could share you know like a couple of the things that you've learned that when people are going this week uh, back to their practice whatever it is whether it's their creative practice whether it's how they manage their job what uh, what are a few things that you've learned that you think people can just go away and start applying or a lens that they can look at stuff that they can apply that maybe is going to make things a bit easier yes definitely um yeah I have a lot of love and respect for like my younger self because I'm like god you really you really you know sacrifice like a lot of socializing (laughs) for your writing it was a you know it is a sacrifice sometimes to get stuff done um so I would say you know if you feel like you're disappointing people because you need to put your project first because creativity and art and writing is basically something no one has asked you to create that's like the point of it (laughs) so if no one has asked you to do it that is you having to prioritize it in a very busy life so I would say you know people are sort of a bit annoyed with you that you can't come out and you know you can't go to the pub on a Sunday because you're writing your book just try and you know realize that you know you're it's important not to kind of people please like you 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 do have to kind of prioritize yourself so don't feel bad about that would be the first thing because I did for years um and the other thing would be to practice patience which I know is so hard but I think being a writer is basically learning to be patient your book you know in the book world your book doesn't come out for ages once it's finished that sort of thing but on a day-to-day sort of lens you know I think we get very overwhelmed when we want it to be done so for me, I write maybe 200 words a day. I put, I've got a little timer on my desk that I put on for 15 minutes. If I can do 15 minutes of writing a day, I will have a completed book in like six months. Small steps is really everything. And then the other thing I would say is all of the times things haven't worked out for me is when I've gone against my own gut. So I think just really try and believe in yourself because you'll have so many other people telling you what to do. And if you do get a book or or anything like that published, you'll have an editor who might try and persuade you to change things. And you do have to stand true sometimes in what you think is best. Amazingly uh, wonderful, compassionate and articulate answer to that. I don't think I could have asked for a better answer to that. Emma, if people want to find your work online, where's the best place for them to go to do that? So my favourite place at the moment for all my writing is my Substack. So it's the-substack.com. 
and I talk a lot about all of you know all of this sort of stuff. My my passions talk about creativity, well being, and um, and success on your own terms. So yeah, come and check it out. Lovely. I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes of today's episode, along with a link for the success myth. So anyone listening, if you want to go to Emma's Substack or grab a copy of the success myth, just look in the description of today's episode and uh, click through. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for coming and talking to me, Emma. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed that, Tim. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, I wish you a wonderful week of writing.